0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Four Your Benefits. I'm James Story, the Chief Strategy Officer at Century Health. In this podcast, our goal is to help benefits advisors, HR teams, and other stakeholders stay on the cutting edge of what's happening in the world of employee health benefits. Today we're excited to be chatting with Ben Connor, the President and CEO of Connor Insurance. Ben was recognized by Benefits Pro as a finalist for the 2020 Broker of the Year Award, and in 2019 by Employee Benefits Advisor as a rising star in advising, which are both national awards programs for advisors who are making a difference in benefits and benefit consulting. Congrats, Ben. We're excited to have you with us. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me. Ben Connor, President and CEO of Connor Insurance, which is a family business. Uh, it's probably easy to tell, but it was founded by my grandfather. Really long time ago in 1949. Um, so we're lo- located in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, so I've lived here my whole life, outside of going to uh, college at Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana.
0: Well, let's let's jump right in. So today uh, in this episode, Ben and I want to discuss uh, why it's key to put empathy at the core of benefit choices. Uh, and why Ben believes that it should be starting by
1: prioritizing compassion and leadership and leadership style. I think the reason empathy has been kind of, from my perspective, a central element of benefits is because I kind of feel like we've forgotten who we're serving. Um, and so we have to talk about that because, um, you know, employers are deployed employee benefit programs to enhance the the you know, compensation offering and and the value that they're delivering to workers coming to their organizations. And I think somewhere along the lines, we've kind of taken our eye off the ball and we've forgotten about the purpose of that. And quite frankly, you know, I think we forgot about it for for a little while also uh, in advising to, you know, talk about maybe like the latest global trends or, you know, um, talking about avoiding cost increases or some of those things that are are pretty common in the space. You know, when you get caught up in that, you kind of forget um, why we're doing this, and and maybe kind of how to rethink about uh, the delivery of employee benefits.
0: It's interesting you say that because I I know in my own journey I feel like we've made uh, so much progress as it relates to kind of understanding people through data. Uh, but but are we really understanding people as what? uh, ask often, like we, we've been looking at people as disease states, uh, frequently in this space versus looking at them. Okay. There's a reason there's a lifestyle and there's a human behind this disease state. Uh, and so, you know, I, I tend to believe that empathy's it wasn't intentionally left behind, uh, but maybe it got left behind as we got, you know, more aware of other components of, uh, you know, of, of what's going on in people's health within a population.
1: Yeah. And I think, You know, we talked about empathy and actually you said a word that I I think is pretty key earlier is that the term of of compassion. Um, Because when you look at some of these decisions that are made in the boardroom, um, quite honestly, for being real and we're like following definitions, there could be, you know, a C-suite leader that can't have empathy for one of their workers because they've never been in their shoes. You know, or if I haven't gone through that circumstance or if I've never done this, like I can't have empathy for that because I don't know what it's like. So um, that's where the term compassion comes in and really trying to figure out how do we care for people, Um, you know, empathy or compassion or otherwise, I guess it doesn't really matter. But how how do we put ourselves in a position where we're really thinking about, you know, serving our workforce really well and, and setting them up for success?
0: That's well stated. I I love that comparison we've drawn, you know, between a boardroom and benefits decisions, you know, being made in this, you know, in this environment uh, that, that that these where where the executives tend to have familiarity with with things differently than what the 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 folks they're buying the resources for. Uh, I think you made a comment. Um, Uh, Somewhere along the way in some of the the materials I looked at over here talking about, you know, we're spending millions and really billions of dollars nationally, and folks aren't often seeing these benefit resources as an actual benefit, which I totally align with. It's just, you know, it's kind of fascinating to me how many bells and whistles, shiny objects employers have been buying over the years that basically go unused. Uh, because of confusion or because of lack of understanding, because of lack of maybe empathy uh, as it relates to those those employees. I want to switch gears a little bit uh, and talk because I know we're both also really, you know, this kind of goes hand in hand with company culture. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, employees today, especially the new generation workforce or what everything we're reading, uh, expect that culture isn't just writing on a the wall. They're now expecting, as they should, uh, leaders to, uh, that create these cultures to carry it over into everything they do in the C-suite uh, from organizational health to a uh, compensation benefit strategy. Um, I'd say that based on recent discussions we've been featured in and you've been featured in, um, uh, we believe having a healthy culture in an organization is is key. Uh, and it's key from a leader all the way down to the full uh, design of the business. Talk to me a little bit um, about, you know why should benefit decisions And how maybe even should benefit decisions reflect a company's culture? Give us maybe give us some examples of that you've had with your clients.
1: Sure. Uh, So uh, in in the book that that our network published, "Life and Death Decisions in the C Suite," kind of go into this about the idea of mission-driven benefits and connecting connecting a benefit strategy to the overall culture of of the organization. Um, And I kind of it's it's the analogy of you know uh, of of like maybe your own personal home and when you have guests over um uh you know when you have guests over if if you guys are like me maybe you're not but you know we're we're super special ben so we always like we clean we clean like crazy and (laughs) try to make it so that our house is super clean Uh, but there's always those few items that we're like oh man like throw that in that closet or make sure no one goes into that kid's room. Or, you know, there's there's the junk drawer or some closet or room that you're like, hey, we're going to stuff things in here. Hopefully no one goes in there and that that sort of thing. Um, and the reason I relate that to culture is that's exactly what employers do. And we're, we're very strategic of how we clean our house and how we present ourselves and that sort of thing. But the challenge is, is that that junk drawer or that kid's room or that closet that's the employee benefit program. It's like, look at all these cool things we're doing, but don't look at this because we're hamstrung by money or whatever whatever the constraint or the perceived constraint is, you know, that's not allowed the benefit program to kind of follow the rest of the strategy. And um, I don't think it needs to be that way. In fact, we've proven time and time again that that it doesn't um so just just a few things uh of you know maybe tips or so is you know let's talk about the main thing so when employees Mm -hmm. are purchasing or you know they're they're purchasing or they're making their elections of what they want from an employee benefit program they look at just a couple of things they look at how much they actually they probably just look at one thing how much is coming out of my my check right (laughs) how much is this going to cost me um Because I want to pay as little as physically possible, because I need the other money to pay for all my other living expenses. Um, So obviously that's one thing to look at, but a lot of the things that we're doing, uh, even now, which seems really simple, but you know you got to be thoughtful. Is if someone is making benefit choices by that lone reason, what plan are they likely selecting into, Mm -hmm. and is that plan does that meet the financial, does that match their financial need? Um, so for example, you know, we we go into a lot of organizations with lower wage earners that have high deductible health plans, which high deductible health plans can be a good thing for the right people. But if we have someone that, you know, is just looking for the lowest cost item, and that happens to be a high deductible health plan with, uh, you know, no copays or whatever with a five thousand dollar deductible, you know, is that really serving that employee well? And a couple of questions to ask is, can they afford to take a sick child to the doctor, and can they afford to to pay for a a mid level uh, prescription drug? And if mm-hmm. the answer is no, then I would say that we're setting up that employee for failure. Um, where you know, I guess if it's a uh, in the on the medical side of things, they can at least have the service and kind of fight for the uh, the payment on the back end. But if it's that medication that they need, that's a point of time sale. So they can't even fill the medication. They have to forego that. And what, what type of ramification does that create down the line that could really cost the employer, that could really forget that, that is just not serving their employee well, that impacts them, it can impact their their family, it could impact, you know their ability to work it could impact all these different things just simply because of the plan that's the plan structure and how we price that to you know for what they're ultimately going to choose so.
0: yeah it's it's um i mean you bring up a good point around kind of being aware of employees circumstances uh beyond just the benefit just just delivering a benefit uh to and i you know I I sometimes wonder if cultures got a little skewed at at one point because benefits were table stakes or became table stakes across many industries. Uh, But were they just being offered for the sake of saying we offer something versus actually taking great care of of the employees? I think today's, you know, I'd I'd be interested how you respond to this, but a lot of today's new generation of employees especially seems to be paying a lot of attention to is this just a benefit because you know that you're stuck in a closet but you just had to offer it or are you really offering this benefit with good intent or intent to help me thrive how would you how would you respond to that
1: yeah. i mean i think uh the the landscape of the employer employee relationship is changing right a decade ago or a couple of decades ago it was hey do what you're told because you know they're paying you and and that's that's the way that this rolls and and the that's changed. You know, the uh, the worker, the employee has options, uh, especially in an environment where we can work. You know, if you live in Indiana and you get approached by a California organization that allows you to work remotely, like there you go. Like the the game is totally changed. So I think instead of that that environment, um, you know, employees are asking why yeah. about a lot of things. Uh, and rightfully so, like, why are we doing things this way? Why is it set up that way? Um, and so from that perspective, you know, we have to have a reason or a strategy of, of why we're doing what they're doing. And ultimately, I think it creates a really good opportunity for those entities that are thinking this way and are doing some of the hard things that are saying, you know what, we do need to address kind of our why in the employee benefits realm, um, that they can tell that story and create confidence. Uh, in their employees and in their workers that you know they're really looking out for their best interest and and ultimately if you're partnering with an employer as an employee like that's what you want to hear is why have you done things this way have you thought about that do you care about me? Um, and that's why employees today that's why workers today are choosing who their employer is um, based on is if they get or okay. if they care about them.
0: You know, it's been interesting for us. So before COVID even, we um, were 100% remote enabled workforce. Uh, Here at Century Health, we've got people in 43 U.S. states. Uh, And, you know, what's really interesting to me as as things have shifted and, you know, something that I'm actually extremely passionate about is organizational health and and alignment uh, from the why of, of why we're in business all the way to the way we care for our team um, but it's been really interesting in this kind of new world of remote workforce um, on how people need to be cared for uh, and connected to the company, both through both through relationships with management, also with with the benefits that are being uh, provided to to those. Um, for those employees. Do you have any examples of companies, uh, whether you can say the names or not just, you know, some stories around companies that are clients of yours or that you just admire that you think are just, you know, doing a phenomenal job of connecting that why and the empathetic approach to care, uh, with the way they deliver or provide benefit resources for their, their employees. I've
1: got a couple, but one that comes to mind is, um, You know, there's a a large long-term care organization in the state of Indiana. um, And one of the benefits that they've rolled out during and, you know, since the pandemic is uh, workplace chaplains. So Hmm. from that, from the mental health component of providing people on site that are able to kind of talk through and walk through life with people that, you know, they might not have that support in their personal lives or, sometimes it's nicer to have a trusted stranger that you can unload on versus someone you know really well. Uh, but the idea that this employer, um, the owners are are uh, are Christians and uh, you know, they saw that as an opportunity to support their employees in a way that is you know authentic from their perspective. And again, they don't have to be a Christian to use a chaplain by any stretch of the imagination but it's one of another, another outlet to have conversations with people. So I thought that was, um, that was really neat. And quite honestly, that's something that we've deployed as well internally from our organization is a workplace chaplain service to support our, our employees with whatever they want to talk about. And it doesn't matter if they're a Christian or not.
0: It's interesting you share that. So we, um, so we have about 300 employers across the U S that we serve today. And, um, uh, actually, I think we're just over 300 now. But uh, something that has been key, I think, to some of the care resources we are delivering at Century uh, has been a heavy, heavy emphasis on lifestyle and behavioral health, inclusive of, of mental health resources. Um, I've been fascinated in my role to look at the data uh, around when a a chaplain or someone in the mental health who's, who's kind of... Just extending empathy, quite frankly, in a listening ear, how that affects the other disease states and the other things we're always trying to solve for, uh, both in uh, health care benefits, but also in things like employee turnover, job satisfaction, sense of joy. Uh, there's really some fascinating data that's been coming out, especially post-COVID, uh, on the, the impact of, of things like chaplains or things like, uh, you know, uh, I, I would say, health good integrated mental health not just commoditized mental health but right. but, but mental health that's more like a chaplain or more like a consistent brand or relationship so i'm i'm glad to hear you bring uh bring that up uh or surface that piece and and in fact i think companies who aren't contemplating either chaplain services or some form of 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 good mm-hmm. mental health um resource you know are certainly behind the behind the eight ball on, on uh, where the market appears to be, appears to be going.
1: Well, and I think from our perspective, you know, for our company, you know, uh, the owners of our company are Christians and um, we like to lead based on our faith. That doesn't, again, doesn't mean that people have to be Christians or anything like that. It's just how we lead and how we serve our our workforces is on those, you know, that uh, Judeo-Christian worldview and um, to be able to add cultural elements, that's an employee benefit that, allows everything to be consistent creates a consistency within our organization that is is really powerful really important um you know and I think um, every employer has that story right every employer has a carefully curated culture say that five times fast um where they know where they're going they know where they're headed they know their core values and we simply as advisors I believe, we need to unlock that. We need to under, understand that and unlock, unlock that within an employee benefit program. Um, I, I think that we failed employers on that in the past. You know, it's kind of been the uh, analogy of, of the frog in the boiling water. The temperature has just been slowly turned up over time. And, you know, then we get to $5,000 deductibles with incredibly expensive plans. Um, it's just gotten there over time. That wasn't anything that's immediate, but it's, it's, it's our job to go back to the roots and and unlock what this was all about. Um, and you have to know the employer and what they're trying to do and where they're going to do that.
0: So talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, benefit advisors, uh, are really, I think shifting maybe instead of just being straight brokers, uh, which was a tendency probably five, 10 years ago. Um, Need to be considering uh, culture within the benefits package. Uh, how do you see that today uh, in actual action uh, versus kind of what's happened in the past? How do you, how do you as an advisor uh, integrate the culture conversation into those benefit package decisions or those benefit decisions?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's our job to create the strategy around that. So I think from a from a benefit consultant environment, the stakes are getting higher and higher. I think there's been instances along the course of time, you know, I've been in this industry for 16 years. So early on, I saw the ACA rollout and everyone said, Oh my gosh, this raises the stakes of how this is going to happen. And people had to ad- learn and that adjust and, and translate really what was going on to, to the employer world. I think we're kind of going through that same thing again. And, and it just creates an environment that in my opinion, um, for the the <laughs> the uh stereotype of an insurance agent like renewing something and hitting the golf course i think i think those days are are coming to an end to some extent uh because you have to be a student of the game you have to be able to learn the strategy of what is happening in the healthcare environment, what's happening in the insurance environment. Those aren't the same thing. So you have to understand what's going on in both. And then you have to learn your employer. And you really have to take all of those ingredients and help deliver a solution in partnership with the employer that is best in class. And that is not easy to do. It's going to make the, the stakes higher.
0: Consultants like yourself are typically how we get introduced to groups, but um, there's without question a tendency for us to be working more closely with consultants who are thinking beyond you know, brokering the product and showing up on the golf course the next day, but who are really being intentional about, okay, how do you deliver care, empathy, uh, culture, align uh, in the resources brought to the table. Speaking of which, these things are really expensive. Uh, All employee benefits cost companies lots and lots of money. Typically, they're the second line item next to employees. Um, You know, talk to me a little bit about how do you show empathy uh, while also managing the cost uh, and or is that
1: something that people can effectively do? I think that's the limit, some of the limiting factors of when and how decisions are made Um, from our perspective at our firm. Uh, we have a healthcare spectrum which literally lines out our strategies and how we're going to navigate an employer over a multi-year uh, time period. And we walk through those and kind of build a custom plan uh, to not only what is that culture mix, mix, but what is you know affordable and how to, how do we get how do we achieve our goals? Um, and the excuse me, the reality is is that we're not going to get something new from doing the same thing over and over again right like that's the definition of insanity so we have to be willing to do things a little bit differently to get a little bit of a different result but we have to have a plan for when we get that different result of what we're going to do with it. so um you know we talk about hey if we do x y or z we can save you know a certain amount of money both for the employer and the employee but when we do that just to stuff in the bottom line and have a better EBITDA margin isn't necessarily, I mean, some companies probably, I guess, would need that, but that's not the goal. The goal is to say, if we save 100 grand, what's the best redeployment of those dollars to enhance the experience, to to enhance that compensation offer uh, for your employee? Um, So really to create that vision, Uh, is really important and to show the step-by-step of how to get there because likely you can't do everything at once. I personally believe employees can't handle that much change at once because it's something they already don't understand anyway. So to bring them along and educate them along the way is really important Uh, and that that takes time and attention.
0: As as you uh, think about our audience uh, and uh, primarily HR leaders and and other advisors, um, what advice would you give to HR leaders in particular uh, as they're planning and making benefits decisions for the future? um, How can they best be sure they're considering empathy and culture as part of those benefits decisions?
1: And quite frankly, I have compassion for HR uh, individuals, because I feel like they've been tasked with a really hard job of kind of managing a process that seems unmanageable with the healthcare and employee benefits. So they try their best to protect their workforce. And I think that they have a lot of empathy for the team that they serve. So I think that they're already in, in a really good spot. And actually, I think they're in a really powerful seat to to make change. You know, if i um if I were going to give HR leaders some advice, is uh, to you know to move on courageously because um, I think that's the hardest thing is to make some of these decisions because there can be disruption with decisions. But I think to build a plan and to be courageous in that plan, uh, to know that what your ultimate objectives are, uh, you should have that when you're when you're walking through a benefits transformation process. Is you should have an objective this is what we want to solve for this is what we want to accomplish and you got to keep the main thing the main thing right so um build that plan adjust as needed uh, but just be courageous in taking the next right step
0: i love that uh, especially, especially about you know building that plan and adjust what's needed There's a a great client that we've worked for uh, uh, in the fast food industry. They always bounce everything off of their culture and mission. One of the key team members that we worked with said their executive committee, when making those final benefits decisions, the final question they always ask, no matter what budget decision it is, uh, is this the right thing to do? And does it align with our culture? And so I just think it's a it's such a great way to you know check yourself uh, as an HR team, or even for HR team maybe is to challenge their leadership. Uh, even though they're bringing numbers to the table, they got to challenge their leadership on, you know, does this match with who we are as a company, uh, or should we find the money elsewhere to make sure that we're matching with who we are as a company? Let me flip it a little bit. Uh, so for other advisors, people like yourself. What advice would you give that audience um, on how to ensure empathy and culture being key in, in making these benefit decisions with their
1: clients? I think we just need to spend the extra time to, to get to know employers, to get to understand the workforce and really kind of get outside of like the the insurance norm that, that we've been accustomed to over the last decade or so, actually maybe two decades, and really rethink how, how we need to do our job. Um, in fact, I think the two questions that you just asked would be a pretty good place to start. <laughs> is, <laughs> is this the right thing to do? And does this match up with our core values? Uh, seems to be two two pretty simple questions, but I think uh, if we bring those uh, questions up time and time again, I think we're, also, we're gonna end up in a good spot. Um, granted, I know that we get faced with decisions uh, in our field that, that aren't great decisions we get we get put in bad spots sometimes and that we have to navigate through that but um i think that as long as we build out a you know kind of know why we're doing this and have a strategy to how we how we do our work um you know that's how you get through the roller coasters and you know even i guess from my perspective when we work when we work with our customers um, we always talk about not overreacting um and because when you overreact, you make bad decisions. When you overreact, you know, employees get punished with premium increases. You know, when you overreact and do these things, um, again, we're not keeping our end, end objectives in mind. So um, so we've really gotten to a good place over the last several years is from our strategic planning process. And so again, I'd encourage uh, advisors to really think in those terms.
0: I, I love that Ben. I, I tell uh, our team uh, and have for years is is when we're playing defense, we forget how to move the ball forward. Uh, and so, you know, I think overreacting to your point is typically a defense mechanism that tends to not sell. It, it may solve the problem short term or at least for a boardroom, but it doesn't actually solve the the uh, you know the long term component or the strategy for what happens next year or the following year. Like, how did we negatively impact our team, even though, you know, we saved a little money, how did we negatively impact people? And so I'm glad you bring, I'm glad you bring that up.
1: Well, it's really Uh, cool to see that in action. Uh, We have a manufacturer we work with. Um, They had some claims that are popping up and, you know, we're working through how to, how to address those and make sure that, you know, we're handling that appropriately. Uh, but it's obviously increasing what our budget forecast is for the coming year. Um, and it's it was a beautiful process where we got to see that manufacturer, you know, that leadership saying they understand what's going on. So, you know, they're looking at, hey, we're not going to pass this huge budget increase to, on, down to our people because we know how this thing works and we know where, what our strategy is. Um, so we're just going to to you know, just navigate this with resolve. And um, it was it was really cool to see. So, you know, we're, we're doing some things from the supply chain side to manage those expenses. They're, you know, they're not going to penalize their employees in an overreaction. Um, and, you know, we're working through that. So just to see that actually see it click within the employer's mind and to see confidence in the process, it's been, it's really incredible to see
0: so uh as we start to wrap up here today uh another couple of questions and i want to do some rapid fire just because i uh questions at you but uh i want to briefly talk about how you know how our current healthcare system uh, is operating and and uh, we have all these leaders you being one who who you know gets an opportunity and is, is blessed to actually impact a tremendous amount of lives Um, but uh, these folks are in these right seats to make changes uh, or to influence change. Name one uh, of the biggest ways you believe we can make an impact, uh, uh, both an empathetic impact on people's lives, but also on this massive healthcare problem and the cost of care. Uh, Give us some of your insights on what is one thing we can start to try to do as leaders, uh, as influencers, uh, to, to influence the way we impact lives through empathy and cost of care at the same time.
1: Yeah. Um, so at the Health Rosetta conference a couple months ago, uh, one of the things I mentioned from an influence perspective is to get involved. So I think from an advisor perspective, uh, even an employer perspective, uh, to get involved on the legislative side of things with the uh, Congress, U.S. Congress people, and and even uh, state and local governments. I think it's really po- important and powerful to make uh, to have influence in that environment uh, for change purposes. Um, you know, I think in that, in that vein, I think investing in, uh, primary care is a way that we can really start to to see healthcare change is by, you know, quality primary care, where people are actually getting sound counsel from a physician rather than just the, the churn and burn in, in the normal system. Um, those are those are a few ways in which I think it's, you know, opportunity to make change. Another thing I think advisors need to keep in mind is uh, health insurance and health care are separate. Those are not the same things. So let's try not to make those the same things. I think in the future, we're really going to have to keep that in mind um, as the government leans in and tries to get more involved in health insurance. Yeah. Um, we need to find our value and how are we influencing health care? Um, so I think that that's really important in the future.
0: So well said, Ben. I, I tell people frequently that today's insurance is really the safety net. <laughs> but as an employer, if you really want to show care, uh, uh, the current system doesn't isn't built to deliver that. It's it's a totally reactive system. Uh, and that's what insurance was originally built for in the first place. But as an employer to deliver care, I, I love that. I love that you kind of spotlighted that. That's different than just health insurance, uh, which I think that's, yeah, you know, that's a, probably an education process that advisors and and folks, you know, in your position, you know, can really have an influence on helping. Not necessarily the HR, maybe, but very very likely the C-suite uh, that the HR is reporting to um you know sometimes are not you know they see it all as one I'm, I'm glad you bring that up another another i love also that you brought up uh legislative because the legislature the federal government and state governments have a tremendous amount of say in what happens in our healthcare system uh there's great outlets like the american benefits council that i'll give a quick plug for that i've been on their board for the last probably five or so years uh, great influencer, great educator of of policymakers, or um, on what how how their decisions are affecting downstream the whole the whole industry, but you know employers uh, uh, and the employee. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I would highly promote you know that we all get involved with on the legislative side because it's I don't think it's ill-intended that bad decisions are made. I think that there's just a lack of awareness on the effect or the rippling effect that some of those uh decisions can sometimes uh can sometimes have.
1: No, absolutely.
0: Well I thank you for that. I got a couple of just like quick questions to learn more about you. So uh first we'll start here. What um is your favorite business book? And you can't oh. say the one you co-authored but you can yeah, say right. it if you want.
1: <laughs> oh gosh. Um um I like start with why by Simon Sinek. Um that was that was a a, a good one. Um, uh, e Myth um, was was also one I really enjoyed. Um, and I'm kind of drawing a blank, but um, I think obviously getting invested in 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 reading and that sort of thing is really important. So okay. uh,
0: favorite yeah. thing to do with your uh, kids and family.
1: Oh, uh, I like being outside with them and playing, uh, swimming in the pool. Um, I also like coaching their sports teams. We just got into that. My oldest daughter, she's only five, but I coached her little five-year-old team. Um, so that's that was a lot of fun, just seeing them learn and grow.
0: As a dad, with the youngest is uh, the, my youngest is five, and uh, it it the entertainment value starts to uh, come around.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. It All right, definitely, vacation uh, it definitely five. forces you to. Uh, put the competitive side away. and You have to put that <laughs> think away. Think about the kids just having fun and, and inching forward and learning the game, right? A hundred percent. Favorite vacation spot? Uh, my favorite place I've ever gone is Edinburgh, Scotland, also uh, uh, Jerusalem, Israel. Um, uh, but my wife and I, we really like going to Florida. Obviously, our thoughts are with uh, Ah, uh, Southwest Florida. We love that area, and um, sad that what's gone on there recently.
0: Uh, last, what's your favorite holiday?
1: Christmas. Oh, there you
0: go. All right, well, Ben, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, before we end here, tell us how people can get in touch with you.
1: Yeah, I think the best way is to to uh, get in touch with me on LinkedIn. Just a connection or shoot me a message is great. Um, so that's the best way.
0: Excellent. Well, uh, thanks, Ben, Connor, everybody, uh, an absolute rock star uh, in the employee benefit space uh, has created uh, certainly a national reputation, leads with empathy uh, and a, a heavy influence on how culture connects with benefits. So this wraps up today's episode of For Your Benefits. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation with Ben. Uh, if you like, uh, like what you heard or want to learn more, please subscribe to our podcast. Uh, feel free to reach out to Ben uh, or me on LinkedIn um, and we'll keep uh, continue to keep you updated on what's happening around the world of employee benefits. Again, thank you all for joining us today. Hope you have a great rest of the week.